It's Tuesday, July 5th, 2022, and this is Talk Commerce. Subscriptions are for everyone, and merchants need to examine their catalog and learn what they can be selling consistently month over month. We interview Evan Pageant with Stealth Venture Labs and learn about subscription commerce. Evan is a tenured e-commerce executive dedicated to driving performance and growth in fluid landscapes with nearly 20 years of operating and marketing subscription experience among commerce businesses. And now, your free joke. My wife and I celebrated her 32nd birthday. It was the fastest birthday party we've ever had. And now, your bonus joke. I gave my daughter a watch for her birthday. She thought it was cool, and when she showed it to her next-door neighbor, he asked, That's a pretty watch you've got there. Does it tell you the time? She laughed. No, it's an old-fashioned watch. You have to look at it. Nexus has been serving SMBs and the designers, developers, and agencies who create for them for more than 20 years. Nexus has data centers worldwide that deliver performance, reliability, auto-scaling, and management control through their best-in-class OpenStack cloud platform. As a point of pride, Magento was invented on Nexus servers. Known for continuous innovation, modern technology, a scalable platform, and access to world-class e-commerce and technical expertise, Nexus has a product for every project and comprehensive management for sites and stores of every size. Nexus is a company within the Liquid Web family of brands, which serves over 45,000 customers spanning 150 countries. Collectively, the companies have assembled a world-class team of industry experts, provide unparalleled services from dedicated group of solution engineers available 24-7, 365, and own and manage 10 global data centers. As an industry leader in customer service, the rapidly as an industry leader in customer service, the rapidly expanding brand of families has been recognized among the Inc. 500's 5,000 fastest growing companies for 12 years. For more information about Nexus, visit www.nexus.net. That's N-E-X-C-E-S-S dot N-E-T. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, talk commerce. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Evan Paget. He is the CEO of Stealth Venture Labs. Evan, go ahead, introduce yourself, tell us what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and maybe one of your passions in life. All right. Thanks, Brent. So Evan Paget, Stealth Venture Labs, the Chief Operating Officer here, hitting my 20th year in the industry this year, actually, and pretty much the entire time inside of subscription commerce companies or here at Stealth overseeing the acquisition marketing for subscription commerce companies largely. Been around the recurring revenue model for a long time. I spent a lot of time in the recurring revenue models in women's fashion, running brands like Just Fab and Shoe Dazzle with unique sort of membership models there. In a stint as the chief marketing officer at a company called Thrive Market, online grocery company, mixing 
the the model of annual membership and really awesome club prices for organics and non-GMO and really healthy foods. And then here at Stealth, really just running and building this company. We've had an awesome run building up a marketing agency focused on a lot of the team here coming from vertical inside of brands. And we've just had subscription commerce brands gravitate towards us. They also tend to do really well in acquisitions. My job is pretty much managing the entire company, uh, bringing in the team, making sure that with a lot of our bigger clients that the higher level strategies are sound and being met and channel expansion, everything like that. Operations, you name it, I've seen it all at this point. And that's what we do here at Stealth and have a good time doing it. I'm excited about subscriptions. I think that subscriptions on all agencies should be a practice. We're going to learn today how much it helps to drive revenue for merchants. And I think that subscriptions should be the basis for a lot of how merchants are going to grow their business and help them create better ROI on every one of their products. And so maybe dive into what platforms you're looking at and, and how you're helping to enable subscriptions. What I tell people about subscription commerce and how to you know, get this question just generally, how do I jump into subscription commerce? few things come to mind. One, you have to create a technology or work with a technology. So Shopify has several different plugins. Personally biased towards recharge as a great option for most subscription type platforms. When I say most, meaning a routine monthly billing and shipping a product of some kind or, or access to a product covers that really well. But there are sophisticated subscriptions that exist out there that could be based off of triggers or different bespoke timings or variable pricing subscriptions that maybe you have parts of recharge need a little bit more custom work or there's other subscription technologies out there to jump in. But the beauty of subscription, and you might hear me say this, and I'll switch back and forth between the terminology here. Subscription and broadly speaking, creating a recurring revenue stream is actually the goal. Subscription is a recurring revenue stream but it's also not necessarily exclusively depending on your product, the end game. Meaning you might have a service fee, that's a subscription. You might have a subscription that is for exclusive access or if you are a scarcity type commerce company, meaning you have rare things, you only get 50 of them in stock and you wanna say, hey, paying members get an hour head start, right? That's a recurring revenue model as well. So a lot of that, I'll switch my terminology between saying subscription, a recurring revenue model, but the point being the beauty of a subscription model and what you're trying to get to is predictable revenue over time. And it's basically a machine that allows you to have with really good accuracy, predictability in your business, cash flow management of your business, and usually, not always, but usually higher lifetime values of customers for you to be able to go out and attract more customers with acquisition marketing. The one who can pay more for a customer and has a better product can usually win them. There's a lot to unpack there. As I look at it, once you've determined a technology, and there's a lot of them out there, you need to be thinking about what your recurring revenue model is going to bring to the customer. And I can elaborate on that some more. What you're looking for is a few is like five key things. Your subscription's got to have five key things that, that pretty much help it be successful. One, passion audience, meaning a subscription and recurring revenue model establishes a relationship between a company and a brand. And that passion goes beyond something transactional. You really got to nurture that relationship. You got to communicate with them about their, their package, their tracking, their shipment, why they're buying, what they're buying, what it stands for. It doesn't have to be cost driven, but it needs to be something that sort of shows the convenience or shows the value it brings to their life. So that's one thing. Ideally, the number two thing is you want that audience to be as large as possible. 
best example I could give, and we work with a lot of these brands, are meal-at-home companies. Everyone's got to eat. Therefore, your addressable audience, pretty much everybody on the Internet at any given point in time. If you have a really passionate audience, but they're very niche, if it's too small, they can be very hard to find any cost-effective manner when it comes to acquisition marketing. But not to say you can't find them, but then at a certain point, you hit that terminal velocity a little bit more quickly. So that's number two. That's the second thing you need is that audience to be large. Number three is, this is the hardest one, I think, is having a unique value prop. You can make a Me Too company, right? You can do a copycat of somebody else doing something that you like, and maybe maybe you got a better supply chain, or maybe you own the factory, or maybe there's things like that could give you a little bit of a competitive advantage. But seeking the thing that makes you different and using that as a claim or as something that you could put in front of customers is critical because... When they're bouncing you against your closest competitor, if you guys are copycats of each other down from your claims, your pricing, and everything, then you got a coin flip chance of winning that customer. It's going to come down to the other things like reviews or credibility or how long you've been in business. So finding a unique value proposition that, that says, we do this, or we're unique because it's our own brand and we're not reselling third-party product. I don't know what the answer is there, but finding something that's unique to you, that's number three. With that uniqueness, good unit economics. This question comes up a lot. What do I need to be doing? What's my margin need to be when I'm doing subscription on the internet? And I always say, start at 50%. 50% gross profit margins delivered to the customer before your, before acquisition marketing, before your team, before all that, just shipping the product from your fulfillment center, cost of goods with shipping with the actual product itself to the customer's door, 50% gross profit margins at that level give you room to grow and scale and throw money into advertising. Lower than that, you're going to find that you struggle to scale your advertising because your CAC, the fluctuations in CAC can lead you into really challenging territory when it comes to your overall bottom line margin and EBITDA. And it's also going to be difficult to scale because media prices tend to only go up over time, as we've all seen. That's number four, the economics. And the last piece that you're looking for when you're building out a subscription is it needs to solve a pain of some kind. It needs to solve something for the end user to make their life better. Meaning, I'll use Meal at Home again because, I, again, I have a lot of experience in this vertical is Meal at Home is not just food delivered to your doorstep. That's a feature. A benefit is you're now not having to spend time going to the grocery store. You're not having to fight about what we're eating for dinner tonight because the food, your meals were delivered for the next several days and you're picking which one you want to do. You are now creating less gravity for that consumer because they now have something delivered conveniently to their door and that is now releasing them from a pain that they were feeling before. And that's, that's one example, but you got to find a reason why your product alleviates a pain from the consumer. And once you do that, you have all five of those things. You got a really great subscription model, I think. Those are five great points. So just keying on the number four, you said having that economics on there. A lot of subscription models offer a discount on top of just getting that subscription as an incentive to get it a subscription. Do you feel as though there is some built-in economics in there for that guaranteed revenue over time where you might want to at some point dip down to some level, I'm not arguing about the 50%. I think yeah. that's a great value. But having that revenue maybe cut into in the beginning where later on you might get some more margin. And then second, the idea of a recurring service. A long time ago, we did some work for a music company and we did fan subscriptions. So from that standpoint, the margin is essentially 
a hundred percent. There's no right. real cost to it. It's just trying to get money or Patreon or something like that, where you have a subscription where all you're trying to do is get revenue for something. Yeah. So the, uh, the beauty of subscription and recurring revenue models is I've worked in subscription companies where the first order that goes out the door with cost of goods, and this is an extreme version, is actually negative. We're losing money. We're losing money by shipping to the customer on that first order, even before customer acquisition cost. I've been in a, a major subscription company where that is how we started. Our goal was like, hey, we're breaking even before customer acquisition cost and team and everything, just breaking even. That was success for us. But the reason why is subscription, you're bouncing against an LTV. You are buying and optimizing your media against an LTV, and that allows you to be hyper-competitive, even unbelievably competitive on that first order, which is very common. Huge discounts on subscriptions on that first order. I don't think that's a bad thing because, look, you need to get people to take a leap of faith on you. If you're a consumable, if you're something that you eat, if you're something that you drink, they want to try you out first before they jump into it could be a year or more of commitment. You're buying against an LTV, and when you're doing that, you're looking at Hey, my average customer, and you model this, we'll probably talk about this in a minute on the on the financial and how to build up a subscription company, but you have a typically a forecast model looking at your attrition, your revenue, everything over time, and you come up with an LTV. And let's just say for hypothetical sake that your LTV is $400. I would always say, hey, look, you want to maintain a V to CAC ratio of four to one for conservative scale and three to one for aggressive scale, meaning you, you're trying to lean into that. You're not maximizing your EBITDA or bottom line profits. You're reinvesting heavily back in to increase your media spend. And that's with 50% margin. If your margin's less, you, that ratio has got to be better. But at a 50% margin, you're basically saying on $400 LTVs, I'm going to make $200. I could spend $100 to make $200. And then you have team and everything after that. But at least from there, you get your ROI. If you're an e-commerce company without a subscription element attached to it, you have to be getting that ROI on that first order. Otherwise, you are just literally burning money and you're waiting for them to come back. You might know that customer comes back and purchases three times throughout the year, but sometimes that's two, sometimes that's four, and you don't know when they're coming back. Subscription creates predictability there, and you're not just focused on making sure that, oh, I got a customer for $100 and they bought $400. That's how it is when you're doing e-commerce. When you do subscription commerce, you can draw that out a little bit, and that allows you to be competitive in the advertising space and also make sure that you're controlling your downstream revenue. You mentioned the media spend. What out of a percentage of that would be your typical media spend or would be a recommended media spend? And let's just, uh, let's compare it to the subscription. Like you'd probably want to spend a little bit more on media for subscriptions as compared to a one-time buy type of product. Yeah, I think the uh, generally, yes. And I think it's more about the scalability. Subscriptions, the compounding effect of revenue over time with subscriptions allows you to have money to invest, to reinvest into marketing. When you are an e-commerce company without a recurring revenue model behind it, you might have months where your ROAS is sitting very comfortably at five or six or seven, and then you're saving some of that for months when that ROAS is two, three, or four. And and then your media availability becomes really touchy. But with LTVs generally being higher with recurring revenue models, that kind of gives you the ability to just continue to create a sustainable growth trajectory as long as your CAC stays within a bigger range. And also you can really just hone in on understanding your customer's needs and desires and improve your product over time where 
most e-commerce models that just have a, a position in the marketplace. I'm not, and I'm not dogging on e-commerce models. Like there's still a lot of them that exist and they do really well. I say you really want to unlock revenue potential for your company is find a recurring model to go along or be the primary offer and to have regular e-commerce to go along with it. But just the ability to reinvest into media and control your numbers more holistically, predictably, that's the big benefit of recurring revenue models. On top of, I generally, I'd say higher LTVs, customer LTVs, et cetera. The beauty of it is it's, if you do it right, there aren't any surprises. With e-commerce, I find that you can be surprised a lot. And those surprises are usually not positive ones. <laughs> It's just a little bit on surprises. The supply chain issue, especially in the subscription market, can be very painful, especially if you've had a standard product that you're selling over and over again. What do you recommend to merchants who have something and suddenly it's out of stock for a month? Does that yeah. lead buyers to have to look somewhere else or do you just try to source something that may be more expensive and lose money for that month? Yeah, this is probably the hardest part about subscription. And it's, the hard part is understanding and seeing the cliff coming because usually the beauty of an e-commerce company non-subscription is if your inventory is low for the month you can just pull back your marketing and maybe your website isn't as fun or you 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 come up with another angle to get people excited so they're not coming back to your website and being like oh wow this the merchandise this month is not interesting but you're not as primed to lose money you might lose momentum if you're an e-commerce company subscription commerce though here's the rub you usually know pretty far in advance if you're unless even if you're manufacturing your own stuff, running your own supply chain, you're ordering four to six months in advance, unless you have manufacturing here in the United States or locally to your country, wherever you're at. If you're ordering from anywhere overseas, you're ordering four to six months, usually more even in advance. So you're tying up your working capital in that product. You got to give yourself a certain amount of buffer because the earlier you procure your inventory, the more working capital you have just sitting on your shelves in the warehouse, which is important when you're managing in your cash flow. The other side of that, if you're cutting it way too close to being like, oh, it's going to arrive in the warehouse on the third and we're selling it on the seventh. All it takes is a little jam up in the port. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, hey, we know we're supposed to deliver and unload on the third. They're not going to get to it till the 26th of next month. Okie dokie. So when you're a subscription company, you now have to get ahead of that. And you're doing something like sourcing product locally. If you have a, the ability to get inventory, if you're in fashion, for example, you can always maybe find more fashion products that you could throw in your box. But if you're your own supply chain, if you're your own first party brand, you might just be low on inventory that month, which means you're going to have a huge bump in attrition. You're going to have to convince your customers to stick around and say, like, hey, we have some problems here. Or you're paying exorbitant amounts of money to somehow get that date of the 23rd back down to the 15th. And you're able to say, hey, guys, we just have shipping delays for a week. Not a big deal. But you have to scramble. Now, you usually see that coming. Usually. Meaning if your boat leaves from wherever it's coming from on time or early, you're like, okay, and, I, and maybe you build in buffer time. Look, we're going to get this in the warehouse. It's going to sit there for a month. Then maybe it sits there for two weeks instead of a month. You build in that buffer. But that comes at a cost. It comes at a working capital cost because guess what? They don't let you get your inventory without paying for it. So you have the ability to create cash flow models that answer these questions for you and give you the means to, to create alternatives. But if you're not planning and if you don't have these check downs between how to get my inventory, how to replace my inventory, 
what happens, I always like to say, always think about what happens if a boat sinks. And I've been in that business and I've had product that was important that was on a boat that sank. What do you do and what plan do you put into place to, to do that between communicating with your customers, finding alternative product, trying to rush something from somewhere else, who knows, but everything comes with a calculated and quantifiable cost and risk. And you really have to think about that. But it, the beauty of subscription is you usually see that coming. It's usually not the last minute. You can see the horizon of our 60 days from now, we're really low on inventory. We can find things. We have to act quickly, but we can solve this problem, but it's expensive. It is expensive. And you gotta be, you have to have rainy day funds for that. Yeah, I think you keyed on two points there. The first one is you talked about the fashion business and maybe the box model. Compare that to just buying toilet paper where you want to get it every week or every month. Actually, maybe not even toilet paper, something a little more like coffee. Let's talk about coffee. Mm -hmm. Somebody really likes some coffee and you need to fulfill that exact same thing month over month or week, yeah, week after mm -hmm. we're a fashion. You do have the option of mixing and matching and taking what you have that's most popular, but also what you have in stock. When you're looking at the strictly subscription, call it the pantry business that another big platform uses, how do you manage that if somebody has something that they really want every month and then suddenly it's gone? Yeah, so depending on the time frame you have to do that, one, one beautiful thing about subscription, if you're selling the same product, one thing you can do is slow down customer acquisition. If you're paying, if you're doing advertising for customer acquisition and it's the same product conceivably, coffee is a good example, like your coffee starter box from the company you order from and your recurring subscription, they have the same goods in them. And what you do is say, okay, we're going to be short 5,000 units in two months from now or three months from now. What you do is slow down your customer acquisition cost to say, okay, we I think we can pick up 3,000 units. We're going to get a little less customers now. Those less customers I get now are also going to be less customers later. So you work into the number that you have. I think above all, my opinion on this is do your best to not upset the customers that you have. The customers you're going to get, you will get them later. Chasing customer acquisition, and I have a big tirade on this one, is what ends up crippling most up and coming subscription companies and consumer packaged goods. A good example, a practical example, outside of the one I just gave right there. Your company, and let's just say your customer acquisition costs $50, okay? Keep it easy numbers. And your payback on that, your media payback period for most subscription companies, usually around three months. If you have a healthy subscription, you're getting fully paid back on your customer acquisition costs after about three months time. Let's just say you're spending $50,000 a month to get a thousand new customers a month. That's a pretty, again, easy numbers here. What that means in your company, if you have not done this analysis is you have $150,000 in working capital tied up in your media, right? 50,000 a month, three months until you're getting a media payback. You are always having $150,000 in media working to, to keep your current pace. What I see happen, a lot of brands jump in, they have some tailwinds, good news. Their CAC is lower. Awesome. They think they want to dial up media. Hey, you know what? We got the cash. Let's spend a hundred grand this month. Sound good? Everybody? We all feel good? Great. Guess what? hundred grand a month for three months to maintain. Now you've doubled your working capital for media to $300,000. Somebody's got to come from somewhere. It, it comes off the balance sheet, but uh-oh, customer quality. Maybe you're going a little too hard. Maybe they're jumping on because you ran a buy one, get one promotion and it's dropping customer quality. Even though your CAC went down, your customer quality went down. Maybe you have a little bit higher first cycle churn. 
Now your media payback's four months. Oh. Now, instead of $150,000 in working capital, you've created $400,000 in working capital to support your current media. Guess what you also did? You bought more inventory because you got more customers that are going to be coming in three, four, five, six, eight months from now from all the new subscriptions that you're planning on getting that and you've increased your media spend. So now you've committed more working capital to your product. And just because you saw tailwinds and you see an opportunity there, you've consumed $500,000, $800,000 of additional working capital out of your company. And what happens if that boat sinks? What happens if your product's just going to show up late, get jams up in the port? No one's fault, necessarily. Can't really avoid it sometimes. If the truck carrying your product got in an accident, it's delayed a week. Now you've overextended your company significantly, and that leads to people having to do distressed fundraising. They have to go out and get desperate bridge capital because their vendors still got to get paid. Their team still has to get paid. They have to still order more product down the road, and they've overextended themselves on their own working capital. So this all comes together with planning your subscription business well it makes an elegant machine that is controllable. There's several levers to do that, but being too aggressive when the grass is green could really end up jamming your business up in ways that, and I think if you were to get 10 subscription company operators, successful ones, say sort of 50, $100 million plus businesses, they all have that story. Every single one of them has that, we went a little too hard and it blew up in our face. So that's one thing I always tell people, like, plan ahead, but don't stretch too far because unless you got a rich family or a rich uncle that'll just write you a check by asking them, you could end up significantly crippling your business because you cannot control the market conditions. You can't necessarily control your competitors. You also can't control the nature and volatility of a boat on the ocean. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great point. So that brings up the question, how do you properly measure and forecast your subscriptions? Is there a model to that? Yeah, pro forma modeling, subscription waterfalls, these are terms that you usually hear a lot if you're into the space, but it's not very hard to do this. It's just a little bit complicated, meaning there are a handful of key KPIs you need to know. One, your revenue, of course, revenue per box, revenue per shipment, whatever that is for your for every single cycle. And that cycle could be monthly, every other month, every quarter, annually. Don't really know, right? Every business has its own revenue stream. And you need to be looking at, if I just say, if, if I use this, the most rudimentary example of, I'm a subscription box company that sends a box every month. And it doesn't matter what I'm sending in it, but just, just go with that. You need to be looking at what is typically referred to as a churn water. And another term you hear a lot in subscription is cohorts. And this is all very important if you're going to go out and raise money on your subscription. These are the words that the investors love to hear and understand. Cohorts. Cohort being typically defined as new customers you get in a month or in a period of time, but typically a month. That's a fixed number. That number doesn't change. You get 1,000 customers this month. That is a fixed data point that never adjusts. You're always going to get 1,000 new customers in April of 2022. And then by cycle, usually month again, in this example, you're looking at what's called the churn waterfall and you're applying churn percentages to each month. So your thousand customers after one month might be 800 customers. And then you apply 20% drop off there. Then that 800 customers, it may lose 10% of that 800. 
So now it's going to drop to 710 customers. And you're going to lose, or 720 customers. You're going to lose 80 customers. And at that 720, maybe you apply another 10%. I have a lot of experience on different types of models, but generally speaking, usually in that first cycle, typically the highest attrition, 20, 25% of all your subscribers is going to drop off. After that, 10 to 15% on that second cycle, on a monthly cycle. Then from there, you're usually looking at about 3 to 5% per month. If they stick with your product for three or four months, they're not dropping off at high clips anymore as long as you maintain quality service. Now, when you have all those customers and then you have the revenue attached to them, you can now plot your revenue over time. What are you going to collect? You can also project your inventory demand over time, how much product you're going to be selling from that cohort. And then you layer on multiple cohorts. So you build a model that says, okay, this is what our customers were in April. This is what they were in March. This is what they were in February. And then you get a final total from every single cohort of, all right, I'm going to ship 4,000 boxes this month. And I know if I ship 4,000 boxes, I put three things in a box, I need 12,000 units plus or minus for this month in demand, plus new customers for that month. So maybe it's 15,000, whatever your new customer goals are. Now you can track revenue. You could track product demand. Uh, you could track, you could start applying customer service interactions for workforce. That hey, every thousand boxes we ship out, we get 10 tickets. We have this math, right? So then you know that from sending out 10,000 boxes, I'm going to get 100 tickets. So then you know how many customer service agents you need. Now you have your revenue planned out. Great. Awesome. Now you got to plan out your media. Media advertising if you're doing direct to consumer advertising on facebook google etc you're balancing that with a new customer acquisition cost number so spending fifty thousand dollars at fifty dollar fully blended cac means i'm gonna have a thousand new customers and you're tracking those media dollars spend over time you use that revenue model that i mentioned to derive an ltv all an ltv is there's different versions of ltv that people use but generally speaking there's two that make sense if your gross revenue per customer after discounts, so just what you're gross getting from them, which is typically referred to as an LTV number. And many of them apply their margins after that. So they'll reduce, so if you have 50% margin, they might say, hey, my LTV is $400, but my LTV after cost of goods is $200. Um, all that does is really tell you what you're dropping further down on your P&L sheet, right? So once you have all that, now you're looking at trying to layer that into cash planning. So this is the tricky part, managing your cash flow, because cash is coming in when you're selling product, cash is going out for media pretty much real time. Not unless you're a gigantic media partner spending tens of millions a month, you're not really getting terms with Facebook or anything like that. You're not able to get an invoice at the end of the month for Facebook. They're not floating that you're they're just hitting your card every thousand dollars you're spending, but inventory, there's long lead on that. And you got to look out and say, okay, hey, Eight months from now, we need 20,000 units and I got to buy those next month. I got to make sure I have cash for that. And where is that cash coming from? What happens if it's a little tight? Do I need to slow down my marketing? Maybe you do. You run those scenarios. You start having all of these numbers in place. It's not an incredibly large set of numbers, but the primary numbers being cohorted customers, churn, your revenue per cycle for those customers and your media spend. And product demand, those five things, when your product's going to hit, you can work backwards and build a cash flow analysis. You could build and understand all this from understanding your initial cash balance of what's going to go out, what's coming in. 
and you do that, you can really manage a business. Again, it sounds complicated. It's really not. It's just you have to be planning far, further in advance. Subscription, you're always looking forward. E-commerce, you can find opportunities. I, I, the dropship world's the, the, the most prime example of this, but even just anyone else that's going like, hey, I can go buy 100,000 of these products right now at a great price. Let's just sell them. Sweet. Let's do it. <laughs> Drop the cash for 100,000 units or something. You spin up a website, do, run some advertising. You try to make money off of that, and you close that chapter. Subscriptions just require, it's more like a locomotive down the, going down the tracks, and you got to keep it going. you got to keep it rolling. you got to pay attention to enough things. The moment you disregard a lever, you can end up blowing something up, and that's not what you want to do. So we have about five minutes left today. <laughs> if you were to give some nugget to a merchant and they would like to enter into subscriptions or they would like to find some products that may be already in their catalog, how would you recommend they start to find that right product and start doing subscriptions? Yeah, one thing I always say is just listen to your current customers. If you're an e-commerce company, you already got a company rolling and it's healthy. Maybe you're doing $5, 10000000 million a year in revenue, have some money in advertising. Listen to your customers. They'll tell you the things they want on a recurring basis. They want to get access early. They want to get consumable products if you sell that. They want to be part of a membership for some reason. That's not everybody. You're not going to convert 100% of your existing customers into it, but listen to your customers if you already have some. If you're coming into the market with subscription, I largely say look at what solves a pain the most. That's the biggest one. What would be the thing that if you had it in your life or if everybody had it in their life, it would make their life easier if it's getting food delivered at home, if it's getting toilet paper delivered at home, if it's laundry services. Start there and see if you can build up and work backwards, see if the economics works. Not everything is meant to be in a recurring revenue model, but I do think that almost every business can create a part of their business that has a recurring revenue component to it. So doesn't mean that one of the questions I got asked, put on the spot, which I thought was interesting, is like mattress companies, right? Like online mattress companies, Purple, Casper, all them. How do you make a recurring revenue model out of that? I said, look, like, yeah, then people don't need mattresses very often. But would they pay more for, would they pay $50 a year for a no questions asked replacement if something happens? Maybe. But in that guarantee, the warranty of... Expensive goods is one of the oldest subscriptions that's ever existed. Could they get on a subscription for quarterly bedding? Like people have a nice bed. If they were to get new bedding every quarter, that's seasonally relevant. Again, not everybody would want that, but there's some that would want that. If they bought a bed from you, they want bedding. Think about that. But try to find something that solves the pain for the customer base that you're going after. And ultimately, that has the biggest applicable audience. If you can find pretty much adults... 24 and over to cater your product to, you can find a subscription stream there that will hit on all those marks to end up solving a pain, have good economics, create a service and a relationship and make people's lives better. That's where I begin. And then on that, and then the last piece, be adaptable. Nobody gets it right on the first swing. You you really just don't. Like every subscription brand that exists out there today, right now, if they've been around for more than a year, probably a year, maybe two years, they are different than when they started. They have a different product line. They've expanded. They've changed. They've pivoted their pricing, their service, their quality, all that stuff, usually for the better. Know that it just don't overthink about where you're trying to get to. But if you see an opportunity, 
it will evolve with the company into what the market needs. I think as everybody knows in the marketing world, measure, test, and then do it all over again to see how well it worked. And these are great opportunities that everybody has with every product in their online store or in in retail store, whatever that thing is, like you said with the mattress, there is opportunities for subscriptions across almost every product. Certainly is going to be some that don't apply. But if you look at what are the big box stores are doing, I think the add-on warranties and add-on products and the mattress pillows are a great example how a mattress company would leverage the fact that somebody's sleeping to the fact that you could brand a pillow that goes along with their mattress anyways. Uh, So yeah, this has been great, Evan. As I close out on every podcast, I give the guest a chance to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like. What would you like to plug today? I just say that if you, what I was talking about, curious about how to build out a subscription platform, reach out to me, Evan at StealthVentureLabs.com or it's just StealthVentureLabs.com and see what we're up to and see how we can help. Sometimes we advise, sometimes we just jump in and run this business for you. Also, I'd like to say that we are building out, if you go to our website, we have a fully functional 501c3, which is really important to us, something we call our impact lab, where we as a company built a 501c3 and built a product focused on teaching young entrepreneurs from really tough areas of the country how to build and launch their own e-commerce business and actually fund with cash their first $5,000 in media spend after we help them build a website and show them how to do all that. So something we're really passionate about is developing the entrepreneurial spirit and the bridge to get from an idea to an online presence. This is something, if you're ever interested in donating or helping and mentoring, reach out to us about that as well. It's, it's something really important to us. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Evan Paget from Stealth labs thank you so much today and it's been a pleasure having you on the show appreciate it brent thank you thank you again for listening my name is brent peterson and it has been a pleasure to be your host today please sign up for our newsletter platforms at talk-commerce.com rate and subscribe to talk commerce wherever you download your podcasts new shows out every week